Scientists who study the planet are agreed that it has been around for a long time. And during that time, it's been changing. Here in Ireland, at one stage, sheets of ice covered the land and scooped out huge valleys. And you can still see them today. At another time, volcanoes erupted and hot lava flowed to the sea, where it cooled into interesting shapes. In Ireland, it's really hard to imagine such cold and heat nowadays, when we rarely see snow and only occasionally have hot weather. But change is happening again on planet Earth, and it's happening fast. The world's heating up, even though you wouldn't have noticed it this summer in Belfast. And this time it looks like human beings may have been responsible, at least those of us who live in the rich parts of the world. For a long time we've been pumping out carbon into the atmosphere as we've burned oil and coal and other fuels to maintain our wealthy lifestyle, and it's led to a warmer and warmer atmosphere. Some countries no longer get the rain that they need, and crops are withering. In cold parts of the earth, the ice and snow are melting, and as a result, the sea's rising. In many countries, people live close to the sea, so their lives are going to be in danger. And apart from harming ourselves, you could say, well, we human beings have been a harmful influence on other living things. People have chopped down forests and jungles, taken more than a fair share of fish from the ocean, hunted rare animals to extinction, polluted the countryside and the ocean with all kinds of chemicals. Some experts reckon that 5,000 species of animals and 25,000 species of plants are currently in danger of becoming extinct. Now, it is true that humans have also done good things, inventing life-saving medicines, for example, So it's not all gloom and doom in the human story. And it is true that creatures have always become extinct down through Earth's very long history. You can see them in the fossil collection in a museum, or you can see pictures of them in books about dinosaurs. But this time, it's us who seem to be to blame for most of the disappearances, turning the beautiful world in which we're fortunate to live into a poorer place, where one day there may be no coral reefs off the coast of Australia, no redwood forests along this, the uh, shoreline of America, and where the only polar bears you'll ever locate will be behind bars in places like Bellevue. So are there any Bible passages that could help us understand what's going on and encourage us, more importantly, to do something about it? Well, at first you might think not. The Old Testament, for instance, mostly written by Jewish people and originally for Jewish people a long time before our modern age began, and they had no thought of dealing with a huge environmental crisis. However, the Old Testament's a very special and mysterious part of the Bible. With due respect to the ancient Jewish faith, which informs the writings, we can listen to the stories that they tell, and we can find them making sense for us today. So I'm going to try to make sense of one story in the first part of the book of Genesis, a story that's fascinated artists down through the centuries, as you can see, with some delightful results. 
If you find my sense of this story to be nonsense, tell me afterwards, and then tell me your interpretation of it. God once made two human beings called Adam and Eve and placed them in a beautiful garden. He created lots of animals in the garden and asked Adam to name them. Everything was perfect. Then Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and God told them to leave. And so the human race began its long journey cut off from its maker and troubled by suffering and evil. No more beautiful garden full of trees and flowers, no more easy friendship with the animals. But then Adam and Eve had children, and they had children, and the human race grew. Selfishness and violence were everywhere. My version of the Bible says that people became corrupt. And of course, corrupt people are those who have become dishonest and crooked and harmful. There are people who should be behaving well, but instead they've become bad. So God decided that life on earth was no longer sustainable. And so he sent a catastrophe in the shape of climate change. Rain began to fall and the downpour went on. The ocean rose and covered the land and soon creatures of all kinds were drowned. Disaster hit creation and man's corrupt behavior was the ultimate reason. But earlier, before the sea level rose, God had spotted a good man called Noah and wondered if he and his family might be a way of starting the story of life all over again. So he asked Noah and his family to build a huge boat and fill it with all kinds of creatures. And then as the rains began, the doors of the boat were shut. And when the sea rose, the boat floated. Noah and his animals were safe on board. And just like Adam and Eve, who had been so close to the animals when they lived in their garden, Noah's family were close to the animals, looking after them night and day and saving them for a new beginning in a better world. One old Jewish story, which is not in the Bible, says that Noah didn't sleep the whole time he was on the ark because he was busy looking after his living cargo, feeding them, keeping them from eating each other, and to put it bluntly, disposing of their poo. The floodwaters started to go down, and Noah sent out two birds, hoping that if they didn't return, it was a sign that things were getting back to normal out there beyond the watery horizon. The boat came to rest on a high mountain. The waters were falling, and as the climate changed and the waves subsided and dry land reappeared, the doors of the boat were opened, and the occupants walked out or flew out or crawled out into the distance to repopulate the earth. This time there was a chance for humans to do things differently, so catastrophe would not occur again. God and Noah entered into an agreement called a covenant, and from now on, humans should try to live according to God's rules and not their own. And as a sign, Noah took one of the animals, killed it and burned it, an act undertaken by ancient Jews in the belief that such a practice was pleasing to God. And as a mark of his promise to never let catastrophe destroy the world, God put a rainbow in the sky each time it rained so that humans would not be scared that the flood was beginning once more. And so Noah went on to become 
The ancestor of the human race, including the Jewish nation, though sadly humans were soon misbehaving again, as both history and the Bible inform us. So how helpful is that story today? Well, the story tells us that if humans become corrupt, selfish, and violent, like in the days before the flood, then disaster is sure to come. And it will happen not just to people, but to the entire planet. Secondly, the hero of the story is someone who, in the face of danger, attempts to save not just his own skin, but to protect all the other species with which he shared the earth. Thirdly, the story of Noah holds out hope of a new start when he leaves the big boat and enters into a covenant with God about a better way of being human. And finally, the Noah story shows a God who is ready to put a rainbow in the rain as a sign that he wants to preserve life on earth. So if these points are still relevant today, some questions need asked, don't they? What kind of corruption, selfishness, and violence do I see in today's society that might be leading us all towards environmental disaster? Just like in Noah's day. And what am I, as a Christian, doing to cherish and save the animals and plants that live under threat on the planet, just as Noah once did? And if I believe in the Christian message of a new start, based on faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, does that mean espousing a whole new way of being human, in harmony with the earth, prudent in its use of resources, just like the opportunity that faced Noah making a new start after the flood. And by the way, is the God whom I believe in a rainbow maker? In other words, does my version of God chime with the God of the Noah story, kindling hope in a world often darkened by a feeling of hopelessness about climate change? But I think when Christians draw messages from ancient Bible stories like this tale of Noah, they have to do so in the light of later teachings, such as the writings of Amos that we heard about so much in recent weeks in church, and the life and light of the teachings of the greatest Jewish teacher of all, our Lord Jesus of Nazareth, and his disciples and apostles. So I think there are some lessons it would be wrong to draw from the Noah tale. Having learnt from Jesus that God is like a heavenly father, concerned with love and mercy and sensitive to even one bird that falls to earth, I very much doubt that God uses climate in order to engage today in targeted punishments. I don't think that the tsunami in the Indian Ocean was sent to punish Islamic people on the edge of the Indian Ocean. And I don't think that Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in order to smite down all the evil people in the corrupt city. Though I knew and know that some people still think of God that way. I do not believe we should think of global warming as an act of God engineered to punish humanity indiscriminately, but rather to see it as the natural result of foolish actions And I do not think that because Noah sacrificed animals, by the way, that we should do the same. 
through the writings of that other great Jewish and Christian teacher, Paul, we can see that the death of Jesus was an event that cancels out the need for any other sacrificial killings, whether of animals or of people. Of course, that's not to say we should look down on the ancient Jews for thinking of God in some of the ways that they did. Compared to many other early cultures, Jewish society was humane. They learned not to engage in human sacrifice, as the story of Abraham and Isaac reminds us. And as Christians, we believe God gradually entrusted crucial truths to them that were not revealed in any other culture. So to conclude by looking at the questions I asked earlier, but asking them in a slightly different way, is Fitzroy criticizing a society which seems to be on a path that may lead to environmental disaster? Or is Fitzroy kind of ignoring it all? Is Fitzroy caring? And by Fitzroy, of course, I mean me. No finger pointing out there doesn't have a finger pointing back. Me too. Am I, and are you, caring for creation as Noah did? Or is this church indifferent to the welfare of other species as a matter of no particular Christian concern? And in proclaiming the message of being born again in Christ, is Fitzroy merely setting out an agenda which is just an evangelical cliche with no real content? Or is it setting out an agenda for a whole new and better way of being human? Finally, amidst the public pessimism about our ability to change our ways, do you and I present a God who put the rainbow in the sky? Or are we happy to acquiesce in the philosophy of some Christians who in recent years have influenced politics in the most powerful nation on earth, and have created a theology that leads downhill in a predetermined way to the rule of the Antichrist and a blood-soaked Armageddon. I think they leave no room for environmental initiative, no room for a politics of hope, no room for good news, and thus no room for the miraculous gospel of the Jesus Christ that we all try to serve. Thank you.